Hi, I'm Priyanka, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Epi. Femtech to me is finally bringing the best technology to women's health so that we can unlock the data and research that we need to improve our outcomes. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast brought to you by Fem Health Insights, the leaders in women's health, market research, and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. In today's episode, I interview Priyanka Jane, co-founder and CEO of Evi. Before founding Evie, Priyanka was head of product at Pymetrics, a startup using behavioral science and AI to make talent matching more effective and fair. She's also a spokesperson for the United Nations Foundation Girl Up Campaign and on the Innovation Board for XPRIZE Foundation. She received her BS from Stanford University, where she was a Mayfield Fellow and President of Stanford Women in Business. Evie is closing the gender health gap by leveraging overlooked female biomarkers, starting with the vaginal microbiome, my favorite. Evie's innovative vaginal healthcare platform, powered by their groundbreaking vaginal microbiome test, is the first to combine state-of-the-art testing, precision care, and coaching to give women and people with vaginas the care they deserve. In this interview, we discuss the impact of the health of your vagina and its microbiome and how it can affect things more broadly like pregnancy, what the experience of fundraising for a vaginal microbiome company was like, and the pros and cons of TikTok for women's health. This is a great opportunity to learn more about why it's important to maintain the health of your vaginal microbiome. Don't forget, you can get $10 off your Evy test by going to evy.com, that's E-V-V-Y.com, using promo code FEMHEALTH10. That's FEMHEALTH10 for $10 off your Evy kit. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Priyanka, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited for our conversation today. It's a pleasure to have you. You've been taking the femtech industry by storm lately. We haven't actually had a one-on-one, but yet I feel like I know what you're up to. I've, I've sensed your personality. I've heard you talk before. So really excited to have you on the show. Well, the feeling goes in all directions. I am so amazed by everything you've built. And honestly, the femtech industry is just so lucky to have you building up our platform. So we're all very grateful for you. It is my favorite thing to talk about. So (laughs) we're all just lucky, lucky. Let's kick off the interview by learning more about you. What is your background? Um, great question. I, my background's in machine learning and data science. So I don't come from a background in healthcare. Um, I always joke that I come from a background of being a patient of the healthcare system one too many times, having a female body, as I think so many female founders in women's health do. Um, but my actual background was, uh, a lot of different things, partly in, like I mentioned in the data and machine learning world, um, in the nonprofit world, always uh, been generally interested in ways that we can use science and technology to help women. Um, Spent four or five years working on an amazing company that was focused on reducing bias in the hiring process by using new types of data and algorithms. Um, And then honestly, 
just my whole life have dealt with a variety of different health issues, feeling like I've been in and out of the doctor's office, um, in between having stressful jobs, trying to get answers to why is this happening to me? What's going on? And feel like more often than not, I was told to drink more water or sleep more, or maybe have a less stressful job. Um, but very rarely was I ever actually given any data. And I think as I dug deeper into it and did my own research, as I think so many women end up doing, that was when I found out the kind of mind-blowing stats that now all underpin Evie. And then it was only a matter of time before I realized like, wow, there is an opportunity to match kind of the data and machine learning world with the gaps that exist in women's health. And here we are. (laughs) Cool. And where are you calling me from today? Where are you based? I am typically based in New York City, but um, I'm currently with my family for the holidays. What about you? Oh, I'm in Raleigh. Go RTP. You're not far. Yeah. Uh, and so how long ago did you found, um, Evie and what was the story behind it? Why did you, you know, you kind of were alluding to it, like how else can we apply data science and you having your own feminine health experiences, et cetera, but kind of tell us about the story of the company's founding. Definitely. Um, what was the first question you asked me is where, when did we start? So we, I started working on Evie in the summer of 2020. So I guess, what does that make it now? Three and a half years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, And we launched the company in the summer of 2021. And that was also when we raised kind of our first institutional capital and kind of like launched the public. But the the story of Evie, I was kind of getting a little bit of it at the the very beginning of kind of at least the personal side of how I ended up even looking into all of these different issues. Um, But one of the first things that I learned in my research is that women weren't included in clinical research in the US until 1993. And I'm sure you've seen me post this constantly on the internet because it's uh, all I say these days. But I think when I I learned that fact, one, I was just like, my whole life makes sense now. Um, And it was just kind of this jaw-dropping moment of realizing like, wow, this is not a me problem. It's actually a massive data problem. And there's, you know, we've only been studying women in clinical research for the past 30 years and definitely not equally still. I mean, female mice were only started to be included in research in 2016. I mean, the the list goes on of of issues that continue to persist today. But what it made me realize is that there's just so much about the female body that we fundamentally don't understand because we never really studied women. And, you know, all of the metrics of health and disease that we choose to pay attention to, to measure, to track over time are based on whatever was most predictive of health and disease in men. And essentially, we like made things smaller. And then we were like, great, women are small men. This is going to work perfectly. And I think as you and I and everyone else who has a female body knows, that's obviously not the case. And to this day, women are diagnosed on average four years later than men. We're more likely to react poorly to prescription drugs, have our symptoms dismissed at the doctor's office. I mean, the list goes on. And my interest really stemmed from this idea that there was really a lack of data, right? If we could really start to pay attention to these signals that the female body was uniquely giving off, right? I always say our bodies are probably constantly trying to tell us, you know, this is going really well and I really need help over here, but we're just not paying attention to any of those signals because we never studied women. And so our hypothesis at Evie was that, you know, we could actually start to do, start to really improve outcomes outcomes in women's health if we focus specifically on these overlooked signals in the female body and leverage them to better define diseases, stratify diseases, predict risk of disease, diagnose disease, treat disease, all using these overlooked biomarkers that we haven't paid attention to in the past. Um, And obviously our first focus is on the vaginal microbiome, which I'm sure we will talk plenty about today. Yes. And and we have talked about the vaginal microbiome before on the show, but 
you know, it's always good to have a refresher and an update because I feel like the science is now happening. And so now it's no longer just like, (laughs) it's bacteria. We might actually know something since the last time we did an interview. So I'm excited to learn more. And so um, can you talk us through your product? So if somebody was to go, you know, evie.com, what would their experience be like before we jump jump into the science? I want to kind of just highlight what you're, because you are in market, people can buy your test. So kind of walk us through the customer experience. Yeah, absolutely. So the product itself, um, like you mentioned, you can go to evie.com. It's direct to patient, which is amazing. And we've been able to reach tens of thousands of patients, which has been really exciting. Um, Essentially, you can order the test. You can choose to get the test, the, the base test, which is shotgun metagenomic whole genome sequencing on the vaginal microbiome. And now we also offer an add-on for things like antibiotic resistance and STIs. So you're also able to look at that. Um, but what you get is a simple Q-tip swab, if you will. I always joke it's easier than putting in a tampon. You swirl around your vagina for 20 seconds. You mail it back to our lab. And then, like I mentioned before, we do comprehensive sequencing to look for all bacteria and fungi that are present in the vaginal microbiome. So unlike what you might get at the doctor's office, which is, you know, someone looking at a swab under the microscope or smelling it, which is unfortunately still the gold standard criteria for diagnosing vaginal infections. That's true. That's yeah. true. Like standard of care is that doctors should smell the swab to find out what's wrong. Well, there's four parts to the gold standard. The gold standard is called the AMSL criteria. And it is first, you have symptoms, which already 80% of people with vaginal dysbiosis don't have symptoms. So we're missing all of those people today. Then we look at vaginal pH, which is a very, very crude metric. As you probably know, many things change vaginal pH, whether it's menstrual blood or semen, many things. Um, three is that we look at it under a microscope and try to guess what shapes are present and what microbes those might be. And then fourth is that you smell the swab. And if three of those four things are true, then we prescribe an antibiotic. We essentially bomb the vaginal microbiome and then hope that something different grows back. <laughs> and I mean, maybe I'm being ignorant, but I am a microbiologist. (laughs) You can't actually see bacteria under a typical microscope, you know, like you can see maybe the cell of a human cell, but a bacteria is one hundredth or one thousandth the size of that. And so even like looking at for those who may or may not have looked under a microscope, like these types of bacteria are really small to the to a typical microscope, what you might find in a doctor's office, right? Right. I mean, what they try to look for is you typically can see certain outlines. And so they're looking for things like clue cells, like jagged edges. They're Mm. looking for, does it look rod shaped or not? Which might tell you, is that a lactobacilli or not? Um, But you are 100% right that this is not a very precise way to understand the vaginal microbiome, which is probably why to this day, when people seek care for vaginal health, they are more likely to be misdiagnosed than correctly diagnosed at the doctor's office, and then more likely not to get better than they are to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is obviously a, a massive problem. And as a patient of Evi, you you get very, very comprehensive answers. So I always joke, these are things that we probably should have learned in sex ed. We really introduce people to their vaginal health. What are all of the things that we found? It's not a specific list of three or five or 10 things we looked for. We just looked for anything that was there. And then we're able to help you understand what does science know and not know about how those different microbes are actually related to your symptoms and your health outcomes, right? So maybe you have PCOS or you're postpartum or you're experiencing certain symptoms. Is there published literature connecting those things that can help you make sense of what's going on? Um, And very, we invest a lot in kind of education around the vaginal microbiome. 
Um, and then excitingly, we for every result, we provide like a custom, clear plan of what to do next. And it might be talking to your doctor about certain types of treatments. And we'll always link the exact studies on the exact things that we found in your microbiome so you can actually go to the doctor's office prepared to have that conversation. Um, and then two additional things. We also offer one-on-one health coaching that is included with every test. And what we find is that for so many patients, they just don't have a chance to ask all of the questions about how life affects vaginal health, right? Beyond the four walls of the doctor's office. What happens when I get my period or when I have sex? How do I need to think about oral sex differently? The vag- you know, all these different questions that patients have and to have a space where they can really understand their results, ask all their questions, and then prepare to talk to their doctor has been really, really helpful. And then lastly, for patients who don't have a doctor to go to, we're actually able to then match them to a provider virtually who's able to review all of their results and actually prescribe custom treatment programs based on their vaginal microbiome results. And then we're able to ship treatments directly to their door, support them along the journey. Um, And excitingly, through that platform, kind of the two main parts, the test and the care platform, like I mentioned earlier, we've served tens of thousands of patients. And through that, we've generated by far, by far the world's largest ever, most comprehensive data set on the vaginal microbiome, um, which is really exciting. And there's a lot of very cool research that we're doing with that data now. Um, And we also ran an IRB-approved human study showing that the test and care together were able to get over 80% of patients from full infection, dysbiosis, disease state to actually being dominated by healthy, protective bacteria. So we're very excited that we've been able to kind of provide patients with answers and information, and then also care when they need it. Is the solution often antibiotics or antifungals, or are you also suggesting other things like lifestyle changes, nutrition, supplements, home remedies? I don't know. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) Um, Great question. So the, the treatments themselves are obviously specific to the patient, and they're prescribed by the doctor who's actually reviewing everything for that patient. But it'll be typically a combination of standard of care treatments. So Is there a certain antibiotic or antifungal that is better targeted at the microbes that you have present? And taking into account, you know, if you have 90% protective healthy bacteria and 10% disruptive pathogenic bacteria, there might be an antibiotic that you choose that doesn't affect the healthy bacteria, but can target the pathogenic ones. Whereas if you're 100% disruptive pathogenic bacteria, you might not have to take that into consideration. So first, thinking about how do you fight the pathogens? But then really importantly is also rebuilding the healthy bacteria. So thinking about exactly, as you mentioned, supplements, diet changes, lifestyle changes, sexual behavior changes, period products, feminine hygiene products. And so very specific to kind of your symptoms and your life, kind of helping you put together a plan to to improve the microbiome. Have you had um, women come back to you saying that bringing these test results actually changed the way they interacted with their doctor? Because I can imagine... You know, I I have a friend, Lauren, who just told me about how she had, you know, essentially what she thinks is a biofilm on her IUD for a year. And she had EV and she went to six gynecologists and it wasn't until the last one that finally said, sounds like your IUD is causing you trouble. Let's just replace it. And she was like, thank you. Thank you. Finally, some, but like, not normal. They just kept sending her home with drugs. Do you think that pretend, I mean, you can't speak to her experience, right? But I wonder if she went with some report, would that have changed the conversation or are doctors receptive to getting external data into their appointments and are they humble enough to take it into consideration? 
Such a good question. I would say the majority of doctors, yes. I think what we've seen from so, so many providers is say a lot of doctors reach out to us saying, oh my God, this is the first time I've ever been able to help my patient figure out what's going on. Like, what is this? Can I work with you? Like, how do I use this with my patients? Um, which is something we're still uh, figuring out and hopefully going to launch something around that soon. But um, I've been amazed, but I think it really is that providers are just as frustrated, right? I think that it's very frustrating for patients, obviously, but I also think providers want to help their patients, right? And to have the same patient come back five times, you've tried everything, you have no other way to know what's going on or what to do about it. Like they're also looking for better tools and information. So I think the vast majority of doctors have been receptive and excited and just grateful to have more tools and information, but that's not every doctor, right? Of course, there's doctors that say the status quo is fine. I don't want to look at this, or unfortunately they don't have time to look at it. Um, so it's not everyone. And I think a lot of patients who come to us come to us because they haven't had great experiences mm -hmm. with their doctors. So I know that's not the experience for everyone, but I do, I don't think that doctors want it to be that way either. Yeah. I, one of my predictions in the end of year episode, which is live, if you're listening to this, go back, listen to the end of year review. And I think that my prediction for 2024 is the year of the patient, female yeah. empowerment. I think that we, as the female patient, were not able to demand more because we didn't even realize what we get, we're getting was so bad. Like we <laughs> may have an idea that this is frustrating and that like our male partners yes. or brothers or dads may have had better, easier experiences. Right. Right. Yeah. We didn't really know what we were asking for. And now I think there are these solutions like your company that's saying, Hey, bring this to your doctor. And, and these female patients are saying, are you kidding me? Oh my God. Look at all this data. Look at all these new solutions. I'm empowered now to ask for something more. And by the way, I'm going to change my doctor if this one doesn't listen. And I think that that is this really pivotal moment we're experiencing in femtech where the patient now can say, I'll change doctors because I know there's better solutions out there. Uh, you are 100% right. I mean, a huge part of the EBI platform beyond the kind of one-to-one -one work that we do with our direct patients is that we actually have a community of over 200,000 patients across platforms just for education. So our entire TikTok page, our Instagram, our blog, all focused on the main questions that people are asking about their vaginal health. And unfortunately today, usually when they Google these questions, they're hit by ads from Vagisil on Summer's Eve, selling them another wipe wash suppository to make their vagina smell like a flower because the healthcare system failed them, right? And I think we are now providing real scientific medical information that answers people's questions, and that's enabling patients to really advocate for themselves differently. And we talk a lot about shared decision-making at the doctor's office, and to enable shared decision-making, we kind of have to educate the patient up front so that they can participate in that 10-minute appointment that they have. And we've designed a lot of our platform to enable patients to have that. I mean, I don't go to the doctor unless I have a note section already with my questions, because <laughs> even I get flustered, yes. right? Um, Completely. Um, do you, speaking of like summer's eves and, and Vagisil and these vaginal soaps and wipes and fragrances, do you yeah. find yet any um, data around how the vaginal microbiome is changing based on these washes? Yes, definitely. I mean, what we see is stuff that's been published in literature as well, which is that patients that tend to use feminine hygiene products, and of course, they're not all made equal, but I do think in general, they they are more harmful than they are helpful. And what you see is that, that you tend to have a more disrupted vaginal microbiome, right? And then it's like, 
you create more of a problem, then there's more of an odor, and now you're using more of the product, and it ends up being very cyclical, which, again, I think given the kind of shame and stigma around this, it's like a lot of times a lot the only place people have been able to turn is the internet, and this is what they're being served. So I think there's just a lot of education to be done in the area as well. Do you think that some odors, because of a misbalance, and if they used your test, they could actually figure out the misbalance and, and decrease their odor that way? 100%. I mean, the, the most of the time, vaginal odor is due to the vaginal microbiome, a shift in the vaginal microbiome, where you're dominated not by healthy protective bacteria, but by bacteria that produce a certain smell that people perceive as vaginal odor. And that is, I mean, it's the number one sign of bacterial vaginosis, which is the most common vaginal infection. Do you think that there's a need for penile microbiome at home testing? Such a good question. We get asked this all the time from our patients. I think it's actually frustrating the way that partner testing or partner treatment has been studied to date. I think one of the things that's generally frustrating about research in women's health is that we conflate uh, areas where there hasn't been enough research with areas that we've researched and shown that something doesn't work. Does that make sense? And then we kind of treat those as the same. And they're actually not, right? Like if we've actively rigorously studied something and shown it doesn't work, that is not the same as saying we have not invested in the research on this. And I would put partner testing and treatment in the bucket of saying we have not studied this enough. But logically, it makes a lot of sense that in a heterosexual relationship involving intercourse, it would make a lot of sense that the penis is playing a role, right? We do know that sex is the largest disruptor to the vaginal microbiome, both because of the microbiome of the penis, because semen has more bacteria than it has sperm in it. Uh, because I didn't know that. That's true. Semen has more yeah. bacteria than sperm. Yes. I and it has a higher pH than a natural vagina. So all of these things are changing the vaginal microbiome. And of course, we put all this problem entirely on women. So I think that there is a lot to be done to really understand how men can be part of the solution too. Yeah. I was um, just like random story here was on LinkedIn. Somebody published a paper on that uh, sequencing the vaginal microbiome and how proud they were. And it was in like nature. And the first comment was from some man, it seemed to be a man uh, saying, what about the penile microbiome? And I had to reply with when there's a groundbreaking, like first time research in women's health and your instinct is to reply with what about penises, I'm going to need, I'm going to invite you to check yourself. I'm not even making this up. I spoke on a panel a few weeks ago. There must've been 400 people at this event. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the first question, question that somebody asks is, well, you said that you care a lot about building comprehensive and holistic data sets, but it sounds like you're only focused on women. So what about men? And I was literally, my response was, I think other people are considering men and that is not my focus or my problem. Like enough people, medicine is based on men, but I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, an argument that is very frustrating that it is even a battle to say that we should focus on women. Yeah. What about penises? If you're out there and you have a question in your mind that says, what about penises? I invite you to just sit down for a little bit longer. Okay. <laughs> Don't comment. Hold back. All right. Exactly. Um, well, let's talk about the vaginal microbiome. So you've sequenced enough of them. I'm sure that when you started, there was like some baseline research that you're basing this off of. Tell us about some findings. Like, I guess first introduce uh, maybe just like the core, like what if someone listens to this, they walk away, they should know what three facts about their vaginal microbiome in terms of like what's in, what's in there. And then, um, 
And then tell us like, what have you learned about like maybe how race could be different or sexuality could be making it different or pregnancy status or age, or I don't know what else you found, if anything. So tell us. Yes. A hundred percent. So many things to say. Okay. Well, just to give you like the one-on-one very quickly on the vaginal microbiome. I mean, I'm sure people are familiar with the concept of a microbiome. It's a fancy word for a community of bacteria, fungi, viruses, et cetera, that live somewhere in or on your body, right? We have a microbiome in our gut that people definitely heard about in our mouths, on our skin. And it turns out we also have one in our vaginas. And I always joke that they're doing more than just hanging out there. Essentially, the vaginal microbiome is playing this really interesting role of essentially like an immune barrier layer between the outside world, which is full of every pathogen you could imagine. And then on the other side of the vagina is our most important reproductive organs, right? And we've essentially co-evolved with these microbes where they're serving this barrier function. And the way that that happens is typically when you have a kind of healthy or protective quote unquote vaginal microbiome, it's dominated by bacteria that are producing lactic acid, hydrogen peroxide. They're taking up space on the vaginal wall and essentially making it so that the vaginal environment is too acidic and there's no space for pathogens to be able to thrive or replicate, right? So they might be there in small amounts, but they're kept in check by these protective microbes that are taking over and making it really acidic. But then let's say you have sex with someone new who introduces a lot of new bacteria into your microbiome or maybe you sit in your swimsuit too long, or maybe you have a long period, all of these things that can increase the vaginal pH, enable those pathogens to start to replicate. That's when we, as people with vaginas, experience the symptoms of vaginal infections, right? The discomfort, the odor, the itching, you name it. And that's what then drives us to the doctor's office. And I think, you know, important thing to know is that Vaginal discomfort is the leading reason that women seek healthcare advice in the United States. So if you are somebody who experiences these symptoms, you are so not alone. 30% of people with vaginas at any given time have a vagina in dysbiosis, meaning they do not have a healthy protective vaginal microbiome. The number one type of OBGYN appointment is for vaginitis and vaginal discomfort. So it's extremely, extremely prevalent. But unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, you're more likely to be misdiagnosed and not get better than the opposite. So if that is the experience you've had, it is not you, you are not alone. This is very, very prevalent problem. But what's so interesting to me is that even though, again, this is so prevalent, it's affecting so many people, um, we don't in healthcare today think about the fact that when we that barrier breaks down, not only are we experiencing these symptoms and infections, but we've also lost that barrier to the rest of our reproductive system. And what the research has shown is that depending on the condition, you then start to have see much higher rates of things like IVF failure, preterm birth, abnormal pap smear progression into cervical cancer, STI acquisition, and so much more, right? Because the vaginal microbiome is playing this important role. And so it's one of those things that we don't really pay attention to. Yeah. And And can we just like reiterate that for a second? Literally y'all, you can have preterm birth. Your baby will be born earlier, like six weeks earlier because you have a yeast infection that can't be treated because you're pregnant. And so you just have to deal with being super pregnant, having a yeast, your vagina's on fire. And by the way, your baby is at high risk of coming too early and having health defects. Like this is a super serious condition. This isn't just like all ladies with their smelly vaginas that are a little hot and heavy. Like, no, no, no. This is like affecting other people's lives actually. So I just reiterate, like double click on that for the listeners. Yeah. No, I appreciate you doing that. And I think like, of course there's so much more to understand, right? Like how is it that there's something that's so prevalent affecting our quality of life so much 
and costing the system so much money, frankly, and all of these downstream health implications, because God forbid we care about our quality of life. Someone should care about all of the money that's being spent there. Um, and all of these really high impact negative outcomes, right? Like having a preterm birth or, you know, children in the NICU, these are the leading causes of death for children under five, right? Like we don't need to be in these situations. I mean, IVF is $15,000. Like why are we not using this data to improve outcomes? I mean, obviously this is why we exist because we think that we can do much better, right? We think that by actually studying the vaginal microbiome, by gathering this information at scale, we actually can start to understand both how we improve vaginitis and make our quality of life better with these very, very prevalent frustrating, stigmatized conditions, but then also actually do the research for how we can leverage the vaginal microbiome to improve outcomes in all of these other areas as well. I'm so excited for your research too, to show like, imagine if we figure out like fingering is like a main type of, you know, cause and like all of a sudden like finger condoms are like the new thing or like (laughs) sexual hand-washing, like foreplay hand-washing becomes like a a sexy thing in the future. And they look back at us today and they're like, you guys didn't wash your hands. Like literally what's wrong with you? Like your babies came right. earlier because you guys weren't washing right. your hands before foreplay. But you know, I saw a meme, I think it was by like Cardi B or something. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, honey, you go wash, wash your mouth out after you eat Burger King before you eat me out, you know, or something like that. No, and but like, actually, damn, Cardi B is throwing down some real sexual education, you know, like, Yes, 100%. And I think what we have seen in research within Evie and published externally from Evie is that, um, for example, oral sex plays a huge role in the vaginal microbiome. And what we've seen is actually that women who have sex with women are at a higher risk for vaginal infections. But of course, we don't understand why or what to do about it. Same thing for Black and Hispanic women, far more likely to have vaginal infections, our current definition of vaginal infections, which is a whole other topic, which is like, have we actually defined healthy based on white women? And is there actually a different version of healthy? I think what we're starting to see in our data is that classically, the vaginal microbiome has been very simplified. And what you see is that even if things look the same, right? Like they're all a quote unquote lactobacilli, which we thought was quote unquote healthy at the species level, you start to see that they behave differently. So certain lactobacilli are more and less helpful than others. But then at the actual subspecies variants, when you actually look at the genes that are present, you start to see patterns of certain genes that are present for women who have symptoms and then women who don't have symptoms or people who are able to have sex with whoever they want and never have an issue. And then people who, no matter what they do, constantly have issues. And so I think we're really excited to finally, finally bring the best technology to women's health to do this at scale so that we can actually put data and numbers behind these frustrating experiences that we've all had. Um, And I really think that like, we don't have to do research in 2023 as if it's still 1993, right? Like guess who's the most motivated to push this forward, the patient. Guess who wants to know, not in 10 years when we have perfect research on every single thing, how to solve it. They want to know today the best information that you can give them. Um, And one of the things that we say all the time at Evie is that we need to treat people like they're smart. We need to treat women especially like they're smart. If we don't understand something in the research, then let's just tell them that. Let's just say there's not enough research to fully understand this yet. Here's what we know, and here's what we don't know. But I think as someone personally who's had so many health issues, I would so much rather know what's going on, even if we don't know exactly why or how to fix it, than to leave me in the dark. And I think that to your point, 
like the years of medical gatekeeping away from patients is in the past. And I think patients now are going to know so much more about their bodies and be able to advocate for, for what they actually want with their doctors. Because if you're not interjecting as a scientist into the conversation, there are other people interjecting like Summer's Eve and Vagisil and saying, oh, well, we right. know why you have a problem. It's because of this. And it's like, well, we know the answer is not that. Like, okay, scientists, <laughs> let's at least speak out about that not being correct, and then right. we'll tell you about the little bit of data we do have, and that we're because somebody else is filling in the gap for these women. You mentioned um, TikTok, and I've been I've been like dabbling in TikTok, and next year, twenty twenty, well, this year when this episode comes out, get ready, y'all, follow me, Dr. Brittany Barreto, Dr. Brittany Barreto, because TikTok I think is actually where it's at for women's health. Um, I've done a few viral videos already and I didn't try that hard, but I think that there are people who want content about this. You have a really strong TikTok. Do you want to tell us about that? And maybe even, um, are you able to talk about vaginal microbiomes on TikTok without getting in trouble or blocked or what's your experience been like? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have had an incredible experience on TikTok and we found that there is a massive community of women and people with vaginas who are looking for this type of information. And I think also, you know, we're living in the right time to finally talk about vaginal health and vaginal odor, right? Mm -hmm. We had the movement around periods. We had a movement around female sexual pleasure. I feel like we're finally at the moment where I can say vaginal odor out loud, but it's still just like taboo and like surprising enough that it does really well on a platform like TikTok where you're scrolling and you're like, wait, did they just say yeast infection? Like, did they just say itchy vagina? Like, what was that? And people see it and they're like, that's me, right? Because it is 30% of women at any given time. And I think it's the perfect type of content where it's, again, sometimes somewhat surprising. We approach it very much from like a humor destigmatization standpoint. And I think that that type of content really resonates on a platform like TikTok. I will say that it's a double-edged sword in many ways because there's also a lot of misinformation on TikTok. There's a lot of people pushing crazy home remedies and things that are not scientifically backed. And, you know, I think there was some stat about how Gen Z's first place they turn to search for health information is now the TikTok search bar. So I think there's pros and cons, right? There's platforms like Evie that are able to really reach people with um, accessible, you know, destigmatized education. But then there's also people who are doing different things on TikTok. So I think we've been able to build an amazing community there, but I think there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that people aren't also just being fed misinformation. Yeah. Well, speaking of it being the right time, is it the right time to fundraise for vaginal microbiome? You recently raised a round and you also talked about how that fundraise went at an event. I'd love for you to tell, because we do have a lot of aspiring and current founders listening. What was it like fundraising, talking about vaginal microbiome to investors? <laughs> um, I would say it's evolved. It's evolved since I first was doing this uh, three years ago. Which is I would great, say, right? Um, An evolution in three years. Like we, we're we fast tracking this, you know? I always I tell agree. people, like if you're, I'm part of a like group of, um, it's called Femtech Across Borders. And it's all the Femtech leaders in the world. We get together monthly, talk about current issues. And I always like dropping the gauntlet on this and dropping facts on that. And then at the end, I'm like, by the way, we're doing amazing. And like, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> Even if we're still super frustrated about these 10 things we talked about today, we're doing it. So I'm glad to hear that your experience fundraising has evolved even in, you know, 36 months. That's not that long. So please continue. Right. No, totally. I, I definitely agree with that. I, I always laugh because 
we, the first time I usually say vagina or vaginal microbiome, you kind of like see everyone in the room, like slightly shudder. And then they're like, oh, oh, she just said that word. And then by the end, people are like asking me questions with those words in their questions, right? So I think it just takes a little bit of undoing of the way that people have been taught to not talk about the female body. Um, But I do think that people get there. I would say that, you know, of course I've had some ridiculous experiences. I mean, I'm a female founder running a vagina company. Like, of course I've had some ridiculous experiences. Some of my favorites include actually multiple times people told me they were going to ask their EA if one, this was really a big problem. And two, if they would use this product. And I was like, do you really think your executive assistant wants to talk to you about their boss, about their vaginal odor? Like this is completely detached or I'm going to ask my wife about this and their wife is not an investor or in the space. So I'm like, why is that person's opinion going to dictate whether or not my company should exist? Um, we had people, we had a man who it was, is a health tech investor who said that he was going to send someone else to our call because he wasn't comfortable with the topic. And so even though I had been introduced to a partner, I was passed to a first year associate who was the only woman on the investing team because none of the men felt comfortable joining the call. Um, so there's many more stories where that came from, but I would prefer to focus on the side of hope because I think, especially for the people listening here, like we also have raised $20 million, right? Like we also do exist and we are a company and we have found amazing, amazing champions. And I would say that like, thankfully, I think the main reason that things have evolved is because there's more women on the other side, right? There's more female investors of the money we've raised. I think only 1 million has been led by a man. And wow. so I think that <laughs> that's a very important statistic in all of this. Cause I, I talk about that. What is the rise of femtech? And I, and I've identified four main factors, but one of the factors is females investors, because yes. the rise of femtech will not happen unless we have and continue to get more female investors. So that statistic speaks right to it. Exactly. And I think it's like when the person on the other side, doesn't need to first learn what a yeast infection is or what BV is, like we're able to get to the business a lot faster. We're able to spend that time on the meeting, on the size of the market, the opportunity, why we're going to win, all of that. Versus when you have to spend the first whole meeting explaining that BV is like a real problem, we're already 10 steps behind, right? And so I think- Also, I can't help but like kind of push back on that almost because I worked at a venture fund. So I worked at the most active fund in Texas, Capital Factory. We made an average of 100 investments a year, like a lot of freaking investments, right? Like, wow. that, and it is part of a whole system that they had set up and stuff. The general partners, even the venture partners, we did not ever understand in detail every deal we right. did. Right. Right. So like the whole, like, well, they just don't understand it. It's like, it really kind of gets me because I'm like, I've literally witnessed <laughs> not being cardiologists and investing in right. a heart company, you know, not being drone experts and investing in drones, you know, not being crypto experts and investing in a fintech. Yep. Platform. So it's like, to me, that's a, it's, not saying that you saying that is bullshit, but if anybody oh. else that is bullshit, because I I, agree. I think it's something else that has for me, if I may just kind of riff for a second, um, yeah. going to refocus my camera here real fast. I think that the lack of investment in specifically a company like this vaginal microbiome, and you don't have a male co-founder, do you? No, no, no. So solo female. I think that the lack of male co-founder is um, it doesn't provide a mirror for the male investors to know what to say that isn't inappropriate. Mm. 
So if they can have a male co-founder, they can say they, and I think it's subconscious. I don't think that male investors are out here being like, I'm inappropriate. So I'm just going to not risk a two movement on me. Instead, there's some underlying anxiety of, I don't even know how to talk about this. And by the way, especially if they're heterosexual, I don't know how to talk about the female body. And so not only am I, um, anxious in my profession that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm anxious as a man that I don't know vaginas as a heterosexual man. I don't know about vaginas and I've worked in VC, the ego, the power dynamic, like so even into the core of the whole freaking thing, which is like mind boggling me. And then lastly, I think that um, when you've never talked about something like as sensitive as sexual education um, or, you know, vaginal microbiome, you are at high risk of saying something inappropriate. And investors are already in a risky business. And I think that with the whole in Me Too movement, they've said, you know what? And I I don't think it's even conscious. And that's why I can't even like report on this because I don't think there's any survey I could do that people would answer it honestly because it's on a subconscious level that they're like, there's risk here, and I don't can't even identify what it is when it when it what it is is a risk of feeling that they might say something inappropriate and blow up their whole fund because of it. So, anyways, yeah. Small little rant that I just went on. No feeling. That's my feeling. I think you were, all of those things are so astute and I'm sure they're literally all playing a role. I would say some of the other like interesting things that we heard a lot were either I am looking for my women's health investment or I already made my women's health investment. And I think both of those drive me insane because I'm like, what do you mean you're looking for your women's health investment? There are so many amazing companies. Like if you even remotely cared, you could have picked one of us a long time ago. Um, and the idea of like, I already made my women's health investment drives me insane. I mean, I don't need to tell you these stats, but the fact that one of dollars invested in digital health, um, only 3% of them have gone to women's health. And of that 3%, 65% have gone to companies specifically focused on fertility and pregnancy, which don't get me wrong, very important, a lot of work to be done to improve, but I'll also, women's health is more than our ability to reproduce. And I think it's just, it's so, what you see is that the majority of dollars go to that because frankly, that affects men, men not being able to have kids, men going through the experience of infertility. It is, it affects them, but also it's like, guess what the number one killer is of women? Heart disease. Like guess what disproportionately affects women? Alzheimer's, autoimmune conditions. Like there's so many parts of women's health that are completely untapped. And I feel like the the spiel I was constantly giving to investors was around like, there's more to be done on access, on experience, all of that. But like the standard of care is just not acceptable. Like we just don't have the fundamental basic science and research that we need to have an acceptable standard of care in any women's health area of women's health. And so that's the the side that I hope that we can drive more dollars into. Well, let's make your current investors a ton of money. Why don't you tell our listeners how they can get your product? Yes, um, it's at evvy.com, E-V-V-Y.com. If you're also interested in the education side, we're on Instagram at Evie. We're on TikTok at Evie Bio. Um, and there's just so much amazing content and community around these issues that all of us deal with. And what's your, you know, and our last question here, what's your, the future direction of Evie? You know, I know that you're doing a lot of research right now. You're empowering the patient to take the data. I personally can't imagine that that is your end goal. I think that is your starting step. And so I don't know if you can, but kind of allude, what do you think is the future of Evie? What do you want to be and do when you grow up? 
Yeah. I mean, I think we aim to create a world in which women understand their own bodies and all of the things that are going on. They're not questioning themselves. They're not being questioned. They, they are empowered with information and that when they go to the doctor, they can get the right diagnosis, get the right treatment and go back to work. And I think there's a lot to be done to get us to a place where we actually have the right diagnostics and treatments. But I think fundamentally it all comes back to data and research. And so we really hope that our platform will rapidly fuel data and research so that we can have the innovation that we need in women's health. I love it. Thanks so much, Priyanka. You've been awesome. Keep it up. Thanks so much, Brittany. Thank you for listening to my interview with Priyanka Jane, co-founder and CEO of Evi. Don't forget, you can get $10 off your Evi test by going to evi.com, that's E-V-V-Y.com, and use promo code FEMHEALTH10. Okay, Fem fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at femhealthinsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 Femtech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for Femtech Focus and Fem Health Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.